I'm Elise Orlowski, a senior video director here at Kramer. And I'm Trip Underwood, a creative director at Kramer. And at Kramer, we work with so many incredibly fascinating people from all over multiple industries. We have so many great conversations, many that are just too good to keep to ourselves. So now we're sharing them with the world. Right here from Kramer Studios. This is Pivot Points. Hi, welcome to another episode of Pivot Points. I'm your host, Trip Underwood, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Danielle Mavesti, VP of Client Engagement here at Kramer. And today we're going to be talking with Kelly McKee, Vice President of Patient Cloud at Metadata. She's a 20-year veteran of the clinical trial operations and patient recruitment industry. And what that means, basically, is she's an expert at bringing people together for important work specifically connecting patients and trial participants with the research organizations that are working so hard to cure disease and solve the impossible. And once those connections have been made, she and her team are instrumental in making sure they're as smooth and productive as possible for both parties, because that's what leads to progress. She's been named one of Pharma Voice's 100 Most Inspiring Leaders, a top innovator and leader by both CenterWatch and LifeSci Voice. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Basically, you're a master of connection and communication, both of which are really important to our audiences. So let's start there. Uh, in your opinion, what makes for great communication around a clinical trial? I think there are a couple of things. The first is so many people don't even understand what a clinical trial is mm -hmm. or have misconceptions about what a clinical trial is. It's not about being a guinea pig. It's not about handing your body over to science. I like to think of it as being at the forefront of the next great medicine or the next great vaccine. And if we change our mindset around that from thinking that it's a last resort to a first option, then we're really going to open it up to more people. So there's that part. Right. And then there's also the part that people don't even know where to find a clinical trial. There's disparate information in so many different sources. Many doctors don't even know where to point their patients to. And so so I think we really have, um, we're, it's incumbent upon us to get the word out about what a clinical trial is, what it entails, and then where patients can find these options. How does the average participant, if that's even the right word, but how do people usually find out about these trials? Are they alerted to it by a PCP or are they searching for it online? I'm both. Okay. Ideally, patients want to hear from their physicians. Okay. But fewer than 15% of physicians are involved in clinical research, okay. and many of them for only one time, um, or they don't know about it. It's not taught in medical school. Um, it's not something that you just, you know, pick up the newspaper. Well, mm -hmm. no one picks up a newspaper anymore, <laughs> but, you know, go on your phone and, and find it. Uh, there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov, which is very cumbersome uh, for both patients and physicians to be able to find opportunities. So while patients want to find out from their doctors that this is an option, many of them are finding out through internet searches or from friends and family or from an advertisement that they would respond to on the T or for those of mm -hmm. you in Boston, yeah. or um, you know, on Google or as an ad word or on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. And do you think that the um, misconception around clinical trials has changed over the last you know, two years with the pandemic that's been going on, or has it made it worse? I like to think that it's better. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was a participant in one of the vaccine trials for um, COVID, and um, I mean, I talked about it all the time. I talk about clinical research all the time. I talk about it to Uber drivers, and maybe that's why I only have a 4.92 rating instead of a 5, um, which I guess isn't that bad, but we're all perfectionists, right? 
Um, and so I think that more people understand that new vaccines and devices and medicines only are vi- are possible through clinical trial participation. But I think there's still a lot of misconception um, and the fact that people just don't view it in a very positive light. Yeah, or to your point, a lack of awareness. Right. I mean, really, the only time I feel like I find out about clinical trials is when there's a um, one-page printout in the bathroom of my right. doctor's office. And mm-hmm. those are terrible, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, clinical trials came to the forefront of the natural conversation around COVID at a time when many people could not go to traditional uh, trial sites. Uh, very much what metadata right in your guys' wheelhouse, but I wonder if you could walk our audience through a little bit of, of what a decentralized trial is and how specifically uh, y'all at metadata are working to make those experiences uh, better for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start by talking about a traditional clinical okay. trial. In a traditional trial, a patient or participant, we don't like to use the S word or subject okay. um, <laughs> at metadata. Because patients just don't like it. Yeah. Um, would it's have impersonal. to travel, exactly. Have to travel sometimes a great distance, um, upwards of two hours plus, to go to an academic medical center. So think about MassGen or Boston mm-hmm. Medical Center, you know, the big hubs of medicine in your uh, city. In a big city. Exactly. Already eliminating so much potential. Exactly. So taking time off from work, traveling, sitting in a waiting room. Um, signing uh, something called an informed consent, which just goes over the trial and the expectations, et cetera, on paper, um, getting lots of blood uh, blood drawn, other procedures, et cetera, and then going home and then coming back. Um, and that could be once or twice a week, once or twice a month, a couple of times a year, et cetera, depending on the protocol. And the protocol is really just like the recipe of a clinical trial, okay. like what, what needs you- to happen what to expect. Exactly. In a decentralized trial, some of those aspects can be done at home. So think about banking. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you went to a bank? Right. Oh, yeah. Never. Or even right? an ATM Years. at this point. Well, it was exactly. Replaced by right? the ATM Venmo and, now it's on and everything my phone. else, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so that's taking some of those activities and doing them on your phone or at home. And that can be done via an app or a website, or like a Zoom call, or receiving medication delivered to your home instead of having to go to the doctor and getting it. And so when we take any of those aspects that would traditionally be done at the site, and we do them at home, that's decentralization. Okay. It's a big word, like a, you know, uh, a mouthful of a word, but that's what it means. It just means doing some things at home or at the office, but not in the hospital. So a few moments ago, you mentioned that you yourself had been a participant in a clinical trial. And I'm just curious as to what it's like to be on that side of the glass, so to speak. What, your, what was your experience like? Well, I've been working in this field for over 20 years. Okay. I was a, a participant in the one of the COVID vaccine trials in late 2020. Okay. So... Um, when I heard, thankfully, that vaccines were in development, you know, I said, I need to be part of this because I've been doing this for so long. It was time for me to, like, raise my hand and say, yep, it's my time. I don't think it's right to ask people to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. Fair. And it's so, it, but it was hard. It was hard to find a trial. Um, I went on clinicaltrials.gov, which we talked about a little bit before. Impossible to find a site. Um, I heard on the news that Boston Medical Center was running one of the trials. I have friends who work there. I called a friend. And it was like seven steps for me to even get to 
be able to email the doctor at the site to get in. Inefficiency again. It's exactly. Inefficiency. And I've been doing this forever. If it's that hard for me <laughs> exactly. to do it, right. how hard is it for everybody else? Um, but then, um, you know, met with them. I qualified. I signed the informed consent. And it wasn't like it was super easy, right? I had that like, oh, should I do this? It's an experimental vaccine. Like, what if it doesn't work? But what if it does work? And mm-hmm. unless people raise their hand and say, I want to be part of the solution, there is no solution. And so it was, an e- it was easy for me to do it. And it's easy for me to do it because I have a very flexible job and I have a company that's very mm-hmm. pro-clinical trials, obviously. And I have resources to help with my children and my dogs, et cetera. Proximity but, to the trials. Exactly, side. right. I live outside of Boston. It's not hard for me to get there. But for so many other people, it is hard. Um, And so uh, participating was a really eye-opening experience. So even though I've been doing this forever, I hadn't been a participant. And so um, unfortunately, the trial I was on did not use metadata um, technology. Well, it it must not have because you're saying you had to drive there and fill out all the forms. So yeah. (laughs) Right. So many are are hybrid, right? So I had an app on my phone where I had to say if I had any um, symptoms of COVID every week. And this app was just terrible. Oh, okay. The grammar was terrible. And I know oh, wow. a lot of people don't aren't grammar sticklers, but I am. Um, well, I was a little trip too. Well, and we also, yeah. we're talking about this idea of it's confusing. Yeah. Like, bare minimum for non-confusing conversation. Right. And it, you're probably. so educated in this area. Imagine somebody who's... Who's not. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, I would get notifications when I didn't need them. I wouldn't get notifications when I did need them. At one point, I wanted to... And it was on my own phone, right? So I had the option, which was great, of getting a provision device or my own phone. I chose my own phone. I'm a one phone kind of girl. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw my phone against the wall. <laughs> and I had to like convince myself, no, this is important. But again, to your point... If I didn't know, it'd be so easy for me to say, don't want to participate anymore. Right. And so at Metadata, one of the things that we're really passionate about, for lack of a better term, is making the experience a good one. So all of our technology solutions are developed with patients, and we test them out with patients. So the shoes you're wearing were on someone else's feet when they were designed, right? You wouldn't just put a pair of shoes out. (laughs) Not your exact (laughs) shoes, but you know what I mean. Yeah, (laughs) The prototype. Um, But in clinical trials and in clinical trial technology, so many just are pushed out without being used on real patients first. And one of the things we're so proud about at Metadata is that we involve patients in the design of all of our patient-facing solutions. Like any industry, if the UX is terrible, you're going to run out of potential customers, partners, whatever it is you're looking to go. So that idea of to spend all this time, research, and honestly money on creating something and then spend zero effort in trying to help people navigate to said thing. Or reduce their friction and their experience. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about explaining these concepts uh, or the the communication of poor grammar and then lack of um, properly explaining either what's happening, what people can expect. I mean, there's a certain, uh, I'm not sure if risk is the right term, but explaining to everyone what, what is what is going to be happening, what they can expect here, here, and here, sounds to me like is, is also lacking. Is that like a form of health literacy and or this idea of the medical and research uh, communities at large need to do a little bit better job about explaining exactly what it is they're doing to the general public? Um, do you think that affects some type of participation, this 
not clear understanding of what's happening. Just this idea yeah. of communicating to patients. I mean, I communication is a huge thing, right? That's why we're here today. Mm-hmm. The informed consent form that we talked about earlier is a massive document that goes over everything. It You need to do it. Regulations make you do mm-hmm. it, right? It's the right thing to do, too. But not everybody learns very well by reading text heavy 13, 15, 20 pages of data, Mm -hmm. right? We all learn in various ways. And so, and we want to learn as we go, right? So if I give you a calendar and say, here's your calendar for the rest of the year, are you going to remember it in three months? No. Right. But if I say, here's the notification of everything you need to do today on your phone, or, um, hey, let's watch a video about what you need to do. You're going to learn about it in a different way. And so um, health literacy and clinical research is really about providing options to patients so they can get that information and digest it in a meaningful way. Um, We also need to understand not only do people learn about things in a different way, but we're all different, right? Mm -hmm. And so diversity is really important in clinical research because we want the medicines and vaccines and devices to work in the population that eventually is going to have them as a marketed product. But if we make it so difficult to uh, participate in clinical research that only a subset of the population can participate, then not only are we missing out on including a more diverse audience, but we don't know that that medication or vaccine or device is really going to work in the general population. Data is not as robust as it possibly needs to be. Exactly. Never mind should be. Right. Right. And talk about building, I'd imagine, trust in those other communities, mm-hmm. it'd be much harder to do so, right? Right, without their buy-in right. during the, the clinical trial process. Exactly. How long has metadata been playing in this space? Yeah, metadata has been playing in this space forever uh, as <laughs> okay. well, right? Um, so metadata actually ran the first decentralized trial over 20 years ago um, with Pfizer. We've run the largest decentralized uh, clinical trial, which looked at different doses of aspirin. Um, and we like to say we're running the most important DCT, which is yours, right? So the first, the biggest, and the most important, that's metadata. Many people think that DCTs are a new thing because they started hearing about them during the pandemic. Because, yeah. you know, Tripp, as that's you said, we couldn't, how I heard about yeah, we couldn't travel. But they've been around a long time. And if you think about DCTs as any aspect that, as we talked about before, you could do at a you know hospital or doctor's office, but you're doing at home or at your location of choice, then that really opens up decentralization. Now, so many companies have come out in the pandemic with lots and lots of flashy marketing materials, but they don't have the expertise. At Metadata, we support, um, I think the last thing I heard was 70% of the world's clinical trials in one way or another. Which is impressive. Yeah, that's huge, right? Right. Um, We have not only that breadth of experience, but we have employees who have been doing this for a long time, are leaders in the field. It's not just like one head person, right? It's all of us. Um, And we're all passionate about the work that we do. And so when you look at global reach and expertise and um, passion and um, wanting to make things better and better, Metadata is the best DCT provider, hands down. And I imagine you guys are benefiting also from the rise in telehealth and people just becoming more comfortable with the concept outside of decentralized trials might spill over into the research uh, realm as well. 
Yeah, you know, patients are ready for it. We've been ready for it for a long time, (laughs) right? We talked about banking or Instacart for groceries or, I mean, anything, right? has been decentralized if you want. But sometimes pharma lacks behind. So that push in the pandemic really made it more mainstream and made it more acceptable, if you will. But patients are ready for it. Patients are ready to learn about opportunities, to participate when it makes sense for them. And I'm not saying the clinical trials are the right option for everybody, but I want them to be an option for everyone. Um, And then by really focusing on experiences um, and optimizing those experiences, we're not only gonna be able to offer clinical trials to more people, but when more people participate, we're gonna be able to speed drugs and vaccines and devices to market. Get them to the people that need it faster. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Kelly, against metadata's competitors, have they been in the space just as long? No. Have you been? Okay. Yeah, no, not by leaps and bounds. We've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I mean, and I, um, again, I just go back to the pandemic and really it was like the curtain was lifted Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I think for so many people on the steps in a clinical trial. And, um, you know, of course I've had the the privilege of working with metadata in that same timeframe. And so it really is uh, phenomenal of the steps that that metadata is taking in this space, um, which makes me feel a lot of trust around around the space that I really knew nothing about prior to the pandemic. So I'm, I imagine others are in the same boat. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's about having that expertise and that breadth of knowledge. Um, but it's also about focusing on patients, sites, and sponsors. All three are super important. You can't do research without them, right? And so when we look at things from the perspective of those three stakeholders, you're really able to um, optimize experiences and just make it a, a better situation for everyone. So many people think, oh, innovation is like two guys in a garage. It's not. <laughs> well, maybe for Apple. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe a million years ago. In the yeah. healthcare space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You you know, clinical research is a heavy regulated industry for a very good reason. Yep. We have a sorted history. We're not, you know, right. pushing that under the rug. We're only going to make it better when we use that experience, understand what has happened and what needs to happen, and then involve real patients and real sites and, you know, work with sponsors to find the very best solutions. I just want to pivot a little bit into a different topic and um, around sustainability. We've been hearing companies um, really focus on this area, especially in the healthcare space. Um, And we know that decentralized clinical trials are helping not only metadata be more sustainable, um, but also partners and patients. So can you share with us some of the steps that metadata is taking in that space? Yeah, there are a couple, right? So not only about bringing clinical trials to patients instead of bringing patients to clinical trials through our, uh, you know, my metadata and patient cloud or a decentralized clinical trial um, technology, but also in the fact that we're moving from treating clinical research as a transaction to being continuous engagement. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we bring clinical research as an option for more people and in the pre-trial space help them prepare, educate, empower them to be able to choose clinical research, and then in the post-trial space return their data, make new opportunities available to them, we're creating sustainable patients. 98% of patients who participate in clinical research would participate again. 
they have pretty good experiences. We can always make them better, right? But pretty good experiences. But yet they're never asked to participate again. So we're missing out on that entire pool of patients who could be re-engaged. They already know that they like clinical research. They already know sort of, you know, what to do, what it's all about. But yet, because clinical research is pretty much a transaction, they're discarded. So if we think about sustainability outside of just the extra devices or, you know, gas to get to your trial site and really think about it holistically, then clinical trials can be sustainable by continuing to engage people. You know, that's really interesting. I never looked at it that way, but it kind of reminds me of some of the work that we've done with the pharma client um, that we have really around building a community to help those with a, um, you know, an illness better adhere and giving advice to the community. And so, you know, it, it kind of shed some light on me, especially as we look through the pandemic mm-hmm. and, you know, how many of those people, to your point, that participated in a COVID vaccine trial are actually being engaged now that they've received the shot right. and helping to inform the community or or build awareness. And I haven't as part of my <laughs> right. clinical trial. I just do it on my own. Um, but yeah, that's it's a, it's a missing piece. And I think it goes back to what Kelly said uh, earlier is, is treating participants as people. Yeah. It's not thinking of people as subjects, transactional. Right. Really right. kind of remembering this holistic idea of the people participating in said trials are people first and foremost, patients next, and the idea that they can be reached out to, they can be engaged better, and anything we can do to make their experience better, it's better for the research, it's better for the, the sponsors of said research, and it's better for for population in general, because we have more robust data to create the the medicines and therapies that that we all need. Great. Well, this has been super helpful, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been another episode of Pivot Points. I'm Trip Underwood, and we'll talk to you soon.